Hi, this is the Social Jello with Angelo show. My name's Angelo. I'm a social scientist, surfer, martial artist, and a whole lot of other things. Coming to you live from Kasai City, Japan, the Social Jello with Angelo show. Hey, how's it going? Thank you for checking out Social Jello with Angelo. This is part of a special series I'm doing on Kajukembo and the history of Kajukembo. If you don't know what Kajukembo is, uh, go ahead and search for it. I'll put a link here on the Wikipedia page. It's a mixed martial art, and I've been interviewing different instructors from different, uh, I, w- I don't want to say styles, we're all the same style, but from different schools, I should say, that share their experiences. And I really hope you enjoy this series. Today I had a great talk with uh, Mr. Ron Steller, Grandmaster Ron Steller, and he had some great things to share about history and MMA, and it was a great conversation. I hope you enjoy it. So I'm here with uh, Ron Steller. Did, did I pronounce your name correctly, Ron? Yes, yes. All right. Certainly did. All right, awesome. I, I have a tendency of butchering names, and I apologize ahead of time for that. Uh, Ron is a uh, martial arts instructor. Uh, as some of you, some of my listeners may know, I've been doing a series for specifically Kajukembo, which is the martial art that I practice. And um, if you don't mind telling my listeners uh, what... I guess, you know, well, I guess I'll let my listeners know. Kaju Kempo has different ranks, and depending on how long you've been doing it, you know, you might have a different title. What what title do you have in Kaju Kempo? <laughs> uh, the title I have and the title I use are two different ones. Um, I officially am a grandmaster. got my grandmastership in 2016, but I am a teacher. I have always been a teacher. I love to teach. My students still call me Sifu because I am their Sifu. Um, and uh, that's why I use that title. It's, it means the most to me. That's awesome. That's awesome. And to some of my listeners that don't know where Sifu comes from, um, would you mind kind of breaking that down a little bit? Sure. Um, you know, it's really funny because Kaji Kembo is such a mishmash of arts that we, we, we mix uh, the Japanese and the Chinese so some Kaju Kimbo schools use Sensei, uh, some use Sifu. Uh, our lineage was the Chuan Fa, so we leaned more toward the Chinese end. So that's why we ended up uh, using Sifu. When I first started, uh, Charles Gaylord was just known as Chief. And, and the chief instructor, or the head instructor at the school, was just known as Chief. And then uh, right around that 68 time frame, things started changing a little bit. Oh wow, that's really cool. Yeah, the the lineage I come from, the Abad method, they also use Sifu and a lot of the Chinese titles as well. Of course, being out here in Japan, everyone just calls me Sensei, so that's I kind of cool. Yeah, of course, <laughs> it just means teacher, just like Sifu. It just means teacher. It's, you know, it's, it's nothing magical or mystical about it. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess just to kind of open things up, what. What made you get into martial arts? When did you, uh, what inspired you to get started? Um, well, I started in 1967 in the Taekwondo program at the local community college. I had just moved to the San Leandro area, like maybe four months before or so. And, um, didn't really have any friends yet. And, uh, like within the first 
couple of weeks or a month of, of my of school, when I we just starting uh, eighth grade, I met a friend, and uh, he was going to the Chabot College um, program. Uh, I had a paper route, and I had just got jacked for my money and my bike doing my paper route. And so uh, my mom thought it was a good idea when I when I suggested to her that I go take karate, and uh, she liked the idea. I had been interested in, in martial arts uh, a little bit. You know, it, it's funny because um, my first exposure to the martial arts was uh, uh, James West from the Wild Wild West series. And, and I just I, I just loved the way he kicked and chopped and threw people around and... Uh, I wanted to do that too. Oh man, I I, I loved watching that show. <laughs> well, did you realize time, that you yeah. were watching Kaju Kembo? I had. Did you realize? I had no idea I was watching Kaju Kembo. I I just remembered yeah. watching it like it was one of the shows that that as a kid, me and my dad, you know, my dad didn't watch too much TV, but when he would sit down and watch TV, that was one of his favorite shows. So yeah, well, he, he trained. Um, uh, Robert Conrad trained with uh, um, Leone and got to do his own uh, stunt work. So a lot of the fight scenes that you saw on that show were Kaji Kembo. And if you go back and look at it, you can see, you know, there's a scene where, you know, he takes off his hat, turns around, throws it in the face and kicks him in the groin. And I'm going, man, there's Kaji Kembo right there. <laughs> oh, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to rewatch it with like a fight analysis perspective that's so cool you know and i did that i bought the box set and that's exactly what i did I go, oh man there's grab art 15 uh, there's, you know, i'm looking at it like that now <laughs> oh, that's still awesome. good stuff <laughs> so so you went you were in college um you decided to pick up uh you decided to pick up karate and you started you said you started actually in a taekwondo school is that did I hear you correctly? Well, it was it was a program at Chabot College. I was just entering eighth grade, so was I maybe thirteen? Okay. I think I was thirteen when I started. Oh, that was nineteen sixty seven. Yeah. All right, all right. And then I was only there for maybe six to eight months, and then uh, my friend quit. He was my ride. Uh, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I, I didn't have a ride there. I didn't want to take the bus. Um, so I started searching. Uh, there was only one other karate school in San Leandro at the time, and that was um, that. That was the Gaylord School, and uh, it actually was run by uh, by by somebody else at the time. And then um, that's where I ended up. All right. And then you ended up. Uh, you said because it was the only other school. What were some of the differences though that you might have noticed, like going from the the few months of Taekwondo that you did? And then going to the Kajukembo school, what were some of the the contact? The contact. The contact. The contact was what was the difference. Um, you know, th th there was no children at that school, um, uh, and, and there were some monsters at that school. That's all the Palin brothers were there at the time. Jim Juarez, who ended up being my 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 teacher, uh, was one of the main instructors there, and most of the and. Juarez was an angry young man. He was only 16 at the time, but he's ran most of the classes that I was in. Came in, just kicked everybody's butt, and went home. I mean, that that was that was Juarez. You know, um, that's that's the way it was. There was no no. I was the youngest kid in the class. There was there was no other children too much. You know, and uh, I, I got my butt handed to me nightly. Oh, and and at this point, I mean, you, 
if I'm following this timeline correctly, you're still about maybe 13, 14, right? Yeah, probably right around 14 by the time I, I got to uh, Kaji Kembo, yeah. And then Hawares uh, was about 16, 17, around there? He, he was 16, yeah, 16, 17 at the time, yes. Oh. But but he was he was teaching a lot of the classes at that time already. So I think Juarez started probably in 63 or 64, somewhere through there. So you, you get there, you start noticing there's more contact. There's always this point when people are trying a new martial art or, or when they're trying something new where they kind of it kind of clicks and they decide that th this is for them. P particularly martial arts, kind of traditional martial arts, kind of different from, from boxing and... Uh, and also the kickboxing tracks or more sport fighting because of the rank system you start seeing that it's there's going to be a longer road to to just going from I'm going to try to, to defend myself to I'm going to try to get this mastery of techniques or I want to go the long haul and go for the black belt what exactly happened that made you kind of see that and when did you make that decision that you were going to be there and that you were going to go for your black belt you know, I, I can't really say I, I had black belt on my mind. Um, I was just enjoying being there. And honestly, I really had nowhere else to go, nowhere else to be. Um, uh, only child of a single mom. And my mom worked four to midnight. So there was no place for me, the streets. Um, so I just, I just went and just um, enjoyed being there. And uh, it, it was all good. It was all good. That's really cool. So, you know, you, you had nowhere to go, and that's what kind of kept you stuck around. You didn't really have the black belt. You know, you weren't really there to try to get your black belt as much as you enjoyed doing it. Um, at what point did you realize that you were going to end up, you know, in this position where you're going to be an instructor and you were teaching others? And how did you kind of process becoming, transitioning from, student to instructor um because i was there every day um i i learned quite a bit uh fast uh curriculum and just it just came naturally to me i guess i i don't know i just i enjoyed being there and i enjoyed doing it and eventually was starting to help in the class so by by 71 and here i am you know uh maybe three years in, you know, and uh, going there every day, I was, it, it was time. Um, and the blessing for me was in 1971 uh, with the okay of my instructor at the time and um, a school sponsor, I was able to start teaching a after-school program at my high school. So every Thursday there was a thing called concilium period where we would get out of school like at 2 o'clock and from 2 to 3.15 there was different activities. Kids could go home but or they could stay and do different activities on campus. And, um, and martial arts was one of the things that they could do. So I actually started teaching my first class of my own group in 1971. Oh, that's really cool. That's really cool. <clears throat> And at that point, you were 
Did you, were you already a black belt by that point? Or? No, no, actually I was a blue belt. I was a blue belt. So, um, and then I had a, there was like a brown belt from some other system that was there that was helping me as well. But it was my program. You know, he tried to take it over because he was a brown belt, but I started it. And, and I've always had that strong personality. I said, oh, no, I don't think so, dude. You know? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, but he, you know, we, we, we found our ground and, you know, we were teaching two different things. But, but, but you know, how many ways can you throw a punch or a kick, you know? So it, it still worked out. And I did that 71 and 72, and I graduated in 1972. So that program lasted for me two years. Oh, wow. That's really cool. So, as time went by, um, what exactly was going on with Kaju Kembo at that time, like, historically speaking? Well, uh, for us, it was tough because uh, Gaylord was the first of the group to really, I'm not going to say break off, but possibly branch off and start calling himself Professor as well. Um, I was just a kid at the time, so I didn't really know the politics of it. All I knew is it, it changed from chief to professor. So he was a professor. He came in. He had already moved and moved to school to Fremont and had left his school to to um, to Vargas at the time. And um, and so um, that was, you know. That, that was probably one of the main things is we were the outcast of Kaji Kembo because, you know, he dared to, you know, call himself a professor. And, you know, uh, Sijo was very adamant and, and angry about that and said so in several articles. And But look at Kaji Kembo now. You can't throw a nickel in a crowd and not hit 15 professors. You know, <laughs> actually, I've changed that to 15 grandmasters now. But, you know, yeah. <laughs> It's the explosion of what it is, you know, and, and uh, that's why uh, the BOA has, has uh, gotten back together and, um, and is trying to, to oversee the, the promotions of high ranks um, with a more, um, with, a, with, a, with, with a more, an eye on making sure that everybody meets requirements. Um, I am honored to be part of C. Joe's BOA. They asked me about two years ago because they are now are getting representatives from the different branches. All branches are recognized and, and uh, thought of now. So I am on C. Joe's BOA representing uh, the Gaylord branch. That's really cool. Well, just to kind of uh, update some of my listeners that this might be the first podcast or YouTube video you're watching on this. Uh, C. Joe is the founder of Kaju Kembo, um, Sijo Imperado, and that's what he's, uh, that's what, uh, that's what Ron is kind of talking about as far as the history is concerned. Um, so kind of going back to your story, you, when did you, uh, when and how, I guess, did you end up getting your black belt? How did that go for you? Well, I, I, uh, I trained steady from, from 68, well, 68 in Kajikabo till about 73. And then 73, I, I, I took a little break. You know, there was, um, I, you know, you turn 18, 19, the uh, wine, women, and song were calling. I was riding motorcycles. Uh, you know, there was better things to do than get my butt kicked every, every day. You know, so I, I, I took a little break. Um, 
and then in 75 I I refound my my friend and my my personal mentor Jim Morris he had he had broken off and started his own school as well and so I started training again in 75 but really just not that long maybe a few months to a year um, it was it was rough because I call it my disco break so I was uh, professionally dancing from like 75 to to 81 um, and but I found Juarez back again in 1979 so from 75 to 79 was was kind of out but was never never stopped training because I had lots of friends um, that were training so we'd always get together and spar I always worked on my stuff I always still loved the martial arts I was bouncing at different bars as well as long as I was in the bars I might as well get paid so I'd get paid to dance I'd get paid to to bounce and the bouncing kept my my ability sharp and and in fact enhanced my martial arts because I was hands-on making it apply uh, I have several drills that I do right now that came from those bouncing days uh, I can explain those if you ask later um, and um, so to me, that was all still training. And then when I found Juarez again in 1979, I've been with him and steady. Not a single day has gone by without martial arts since. Wow. And so you got your, um, you were bouncing, right? And I guess, I mean, we, we can go into it. Not, I guess I'm going to put here a note to mention the, the drills that you got from bouncing. But one of the questions I kind of want to throw out there is uh, a lot of times some people will talk about the difference between self-defense and MMA and they'll say things like you know how how things work on the street as opposed to how things work in a cage fight right um how would you kind of explain as far as Kaju Kembo MMA and then bouncing. How would you kind of explain the differences between these three concepts? Do you see these three concepts as separate things, or do you see them as one and the same? Uh, absolutely separate, and and that's actually in all my marketing material. I build my school as traditional slash sport slash street um, because I work on all three separately and yet they can be blended together. Meaning, we do traditional Kung Fu sets that are 400 years old from Hok Salam. That's a Wong Jack Man system. We got those through Al Dacascos, okay? Um, so there's our tradition, our tra traditional Kaju Kimball sets and grab and punch tricks. Now, those are, the, the Kung Fu forms don't, and, and traditional martial arts don't always apply to street they can but not always sport combat there's a there's rules with with a referee you know there's no referee on the street there's no rules on the street so each one has to be different i love our jiu-jitsu we do brazilian jiu-jitsu as well but i don't want to be rolling around in a parking lot with all the gravel and and broken bottles so do we really want to roll around on the ground no but you better know what to do if you're down there, you know. So that's the way we look at that. Um, the bouncing, and I also did um, loss 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 prevention at, at several big uh, 
uh, chain stores as well. So um, a lot of my kaju, my traditional kaju, absolutely worked. A lot of our punch tricks, a lot of our grab tricks, and especially our jiu-jitsu, our donzonru jiu-jitsu, um, worked very, very well for controlling suspects and controlling and walking people out of the bar. Um, you know, pain compliance works for a reason because it's painful and people will comply hence pain <laughs> compliance you yeah. Know? yeah yeah no definitely definitely um yeah it's interesting how many kajukembo practitioners i've talked to that actually uh did some bouncing on the side um and and i've talked to a few of them a lot of my friends and even myself included i ended up doing some bouncing for a while and yeah definitely the the style of jujitsu where you take control from the top and and you throw in a you throw in a lock or you know some pain resistance to be able to control the your opponent to get them to where you want to be is very effective um yeah. going back to the kajukembo to kajukembo and its philosophy i guess how um how is Kajukembo? And we we're kind of already kind of talking about it right now. As far as you said, when you were bouncing, you were using Kajukembo. But um, how how has Kajukembo and its philosophy helped you outside of the dojo in life? In 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 I guess in uh in the way you see things and and the way you kind of progressed from this person, this you know, a kid who was t- who was doing martial arts, t- teaching some martial arts. Then he he started getting older. He started doing some bouncing. How did Kajukembo kind of shape you as an individual? Um, give you, give, it gave me the determination and the knowledge to know that I could do whatever I wanted to do. To be able to dig down deep and, and, and not, I'm going to say suffer through things, but yeah, maybe suffer through things. Um, let me give you an example. Um, when I was going through for my black belt when I was testing for it I was uh, I actually it didn't black out until 1982 so it took me 15 years from start to finish because of little breaks and stuff to actually black out I still was my instructor was Juarez's first tested black belt he had two other black belts before me but they weren't they didn't test um, I was his first tested black belt um, but I was carrying 16 units of school, working midnight till 8 in the morning, going to school from 9 to nine to 2. Again, carrying 16 units of pre-med stuff, you know, um, and and to be able to to get through the day, uh, I relied on my Kajukembo. Uh, relied on my Kajukembo to dig down deep to get through it. Uh, when, I was, when I was frustrated, I, I was using my Kajukembo to calm myself to get through it um when i just could not keep my eyes open another second i used my kaju kimball to get through it um and uh i i couldn't have done it without the grit that kaju kimball um embodies us in and just to give some of my listeners a little more uh perspective here what was uh i know and, and, and every kaju kimball school has a different type of test they're all really rough but um, would you mind sharing some of the things you had to go through for your belt? You know, it's funny because I just ran across my VHS tape of it um, and was watching it and was watching it with my son-in-law, who is um, 
uh, former UFC bantamweight Michael Mayday McDonald. Here's a professional UFC fighter in the rated in the top five, you know, when he was fighting, and he was watching it, and and he's known me for a while now, and he was amazed at the um, power and focus. He goes, man, you were you were kicking everything. Everything was hard on every single strike, and we did everything. We every strike we do, every kick we do, every block we do, every grab art and punching attack and pinion that we do. And with my instructor, he makes us do everything right and left side. So even all our pinons were right and left side. So you have to. It's like knowing, you know, thirty pinons rather than fifteen, you know, because. Learning a pin-on on the left side is complete. It's a brand new pin-on. It's 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 that brain doesn't work that way. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but that's why he made us do it so it would work that way. Um, so we yeah, went through everything, everything striking the bags. Nothing was in the air. Um, I think I started at nine in the morning. Uh, a one hour, um, a one hour. Um, oral test on history, um, you know, I mean, I mean, it covered a lot of different subjects, and all of it was in kneel position. So think about being, kneeling down for an hour, and then having to get up. I couldn't feel my legs at all. They were wobbly. <laughs> then I had to start my test. So I started my test unable to even stand, uh, and I think we ended about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, and then I was after fighting uh, two rounds of fighting one, a round of fighting two, and then a round of fighting three. And, and at the time, there was Juarez had an army, and I, I was I, I was getting my butt handed to me. But it's not about winning at that time. It's about continuing. It's about surviving. It's about that will to survive. And that's all he was looking for at that point. You know, I mean, I fought back. I, 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 I look at it, it's kind of like the, I don't know if you've ever seen that poster of a frog choking the uh, crane from the inside. Yeah, from the inside, you had to make sure it doesn't get swallowed. <laughs> yeah, that's kind, that was kind of me there. You know, I was getting, I was getting swallowed up, and I was choking, I was choking somebody. Um, on the three that, that were um, fighting me, one of them ended up being becoming a uh, third in the world Muay Thai champion. He was rated third in the world. Uh, fought in France, Belgium. That was uh, Jeff Orzo. Uh The other one, Frank Miller, was literally a, a, a killer. He was a uh, a Army Ranger sniper. Uh, that uh, unfortunately, the things he did for this country really messed with his head. But he found peace within Kajikembo and his brothers with us. But you know, here's two killers, and, and they, they were trying to kill me. You know, you know it's funny because uh, Jeff. The, the round before is, here's my best friend, right? And, you know, I just got done fighting too, and he's he's putting ice on me, and he's, you know, he's taking care of me, he's putting ice on me, and he's, you know, he's rubbing my back, and, you know, putting ice on me, and gets it back out there, but then when the three, he's the one that's stomping me on the head on the ground. <laughs> he was my best friend. <laughs> but, you know, that was, that was Juarez school at the time, so.
Yeah, that, that that's Kaji Kembo. That that's Kaji, Kaji that's Kaji exactly what Kaji Kembo is right there. I've showed footage to my friends, and they're just like, "You have this weird bullying system going on." I'm like, "It's not bullying. <laughs> it's not bullying. <laughs> it's to it's, it's to learning it's, how to survive exactly when you can't survive. You know? Exactly. <laughs> oh man, yeah. So if so, my listeners, if you didn't catch on when he was saying the two, we were talking about two on one, three on ones. Um, Kaji Kembo does does sparring not with just one-on-one fights but you have to learn how to defend yourself against multiple opponents or in some cases survive like we're talking about right now um yeah. so kind of looking you know you've been doing kaji Kembo for a long time what are some of the differences you've noticed do you feel you know i always tell to explain to people that kaji Kembo is constantly evolving how has how from your observation how has kaji Kembo evolved from when you started way back then um when you were a teen into now, how, how would, what were some of the major changes you've noticed? Um, well, for a while it turned into a tournament art where, you know, we were so good at fighting that we were, you know, winning all the tournaments. And I'm not saying we, as in our school, I'm saying Kaji Kembo as a whole was, was feared on the tournament circuit and, and doing very well with people like, uh, Satch uh, Williams and Percy Titsworth and 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 uh, Woody Sims. You know, that's it, they were all just California people, but all of them were on the U.S. Karate team. All of them fought all over the world. All of them fought on teams that beat some of the the major teams. Uh, but it really started turning into where they were only going to tournaments, and 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 it lost its street effectiveness. I, I'm going to say that you know, um, not say lost, but got put aside a little bit um once for me personally once i got married i stopped going to tournaments and especially once i had my family i had better things to do on saturday so i really went back to what kaji kimball was and and have stayed with that since um we rarely go to tournaments um i'll pick and choose and yet when we go we do very very well uh, and I tell the kids it's because your everyday hard work is what got you there. You know, um, we're not seasoned by any stretch of the imagination, but but it, their strength shows through every time we go. That's so awesome. f- for me, that's probably the biggest thing. Um, and the explosion of rank um, is the biggest thing for me. Um, I just saw too much of a rank explosion and too many high ranks. Um, some deservingly, some not so much. Um, you know, I j- I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, yeah, that, that's fair. That's fair. So, kind of, um, <clears throat> what is your opinion on, um, because, and, and this is something that, like, I, I started doing because you come from a later generation, but even. When I was uh, younger, I remember seeing my first UFC one on on a, it was on a my, a friend of mine who did who did karate. He uh, he was a black belt in uh, in a style of Okinawan karate, and he would train with some of the jujitsu guys. And back then, jujitsu wasn't what it is now. Jujitsu, no one knew knew what it was. The jujitsu guys were sharing a studio with a Jikundo studio, and everyone just saw him rolling on the round on the ground. And one of those jujitsu guys, when UFC one came out, he brought copies, VHS copies, of the first UFC, and he handed it to my friend. We were watching it, and I remember sitting there watching it with my friend. And I'm like, 
it looked so savage. It was like, wow, what what is going on here? Um, like, it looked like an under, like, I was trying to I was trying to figure out whether it was legal because it, it almost looked like an illegal fight from my perspective. Like it got well, two guys in a cage. Right? <laughs> I, I'm looking at that, and to me, it, it was like, oh, that looks like Tuesday night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like Tuesday night's nice class. <laughs> and, and when I saw it, like, I, I was still, this is, I saw that video before I started doing Kajukembo. I was just learning how to defend myself on my own. And I, I didn't start Kajukembo until I was about 18. So at that time, I was probably about 16 or 15. And I was just trying to learn, just reading books on whatever style I can read about. And when I first saw that, it scared me. And <laughs> Like I, I was like, holy, holy shit. <laughs> so like, well, but like, but you it know, certainly <laughs> dispelled a lot of myths. I, you know, I look at the UFC as the best and worst thing that's ever happened to the martial arts. The best thing because it did dispel a lot of the myths, you know, the, those secret, uh, you know, deadly techniques. Well, you know, sometimes not so much, you know, and, and yet the attitude that it brought, you know, um, uh, everybody's an MMA fighter now, you know, and, 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 unless, but you know what, again, unless you revel in it, uh, cause traditional martial arts, I'm not going to say is dead, but it certainly is hard to get people to train traditional martial arts. Now, everybody wants to come in and do, you know, MMA. Well, we are MMA. We can bill ourselves as MMA and, and, uh, you know, and, and that's that's what we do. That's why we that's why John Hackleman has so many good fighters. That's why uh, our our um, my dojo brother Tom Theophanopoulos has has had several you know ranked fighters, including Mikey McDonald, who made it you know got the fight for a championship you know, um, and has had quite a few other ones that are just about ready for for to to move up to the to the next level so you know um it's an easy transition for us because we transition all the time kaju kenbo and and uh we try and take that seriously uh i did um that's why i have my rank in taekwondo that's why i have rank in jiu-jitsu you know i have my kaju rank and then because of juarez we do a lot of um chinese you know kung fu as well so i really have studied each component of Kaju Kembo separately as well as, you know, in conjunction with each other. Did you, um, did you get a chance to see, there was this Bruce Lee documentary that came out a while back and I, I believe it was called I Am, I yes. Am Bruce Lee. And they had some Kaju Kembo guys on there that were saying um, that Kaju Kembo is the original MMA, right? Um, Absolutely, and and they they were arguing that you know Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee for the people that argue that Bruce Lee was the one who was the original MMA because some people got upset like I saw a bunch of online forums people were blowing up even his daughter was like no one knows what Kaja Kembo is you know my dad's the one who made MMA famous but if you really look at Bruce Lee's writings like I, I've read his books like Bruce Lee never really created a style he created more of a philosophy and even yes. he said. In the future, I don't want to see people saying that they know the original Bruce Lee method or that they teach the the jiku the a jikun. He didn't view jikun do as a style; it was the way of the intercepting fist. So he did not want to create a style because that was very anti his philosophy. 
But um, so the argument the Kajukembo guys were making was, hey, we created this style, this this method, and it was a style. It is a style, and it continued to evolve and grow. And that's why they felt it was the original MMA. A lot of people still, you know, got really upset about it. But what's your take on all that? <laughs> well, this is funny because once again, because I started when I started, I, I seen a lot of this happen. Um, Jeet Kundo came about after, and I say after, and I and I, I may come back to bite me, but I don't think so. After his meetings, his training, his friendships with Tony Ramos, Gaylord, uh, Joe Habuna, uh, Alejo Reyes. He was in the Bay Area. His school was in the Bay Area. He knew and trained with all those guys. So he was exposed to Kaju Kembo and Kaju Kembo's philosophy of doing different things and having different ranges. So did he come up with it all on his own? Or was he influenced, at, le- at the very least, influenced by what he saw within Kaji Kimball? I kind of think so. Now, his business partner in Oakland, Jimmy Lee, used to come to our dojo all the time and bring his guys in spar because we fought like they did. You know, we weren't tournament. We'd get up there and their Jeet Kundo, you know, use everything fight. Well, we did the same damn thing and had been doing the same thing for, you know, what that was 67 40 25 years already you know so um i personally just my own opinion feel that bruce was was influenced at the very least by kaji kembo in creating uh jeet kundo and i mean he doesn't and he doesn't exactly hide it either i mean the last movie he was working on before he he passed away uh, what, what was it that it had the Padoga. game of death? Yeah, game yeah, of death, right? Death. And oh. and one of the there was actually a Kaju Kembo guy in that in one of the stages there, and it was on one of the upper stages. Like he, his philosophy was that like here's your basic traditional, and then there was karate, and then you know as it gets to the tupper the upper stages, you start kind of going more into a mixed martial art. So like he wasn't, I, I feel he wasn't exactly hiding the idea that. He was like he he was let he was showing the influences that he had for his philosophies. Um, it's really too bad he passed away before that movie came out. Oh yeah, for sure. So like um, just kind of going back to the point I said earlier about you know you saw that first UFC one you say hey this is pretty much Kaju Kembo. How did you feel? Because earlier you said you feel that MMA was the best thing to happen to martial arts, and at the same thing same time it was kind of the worst thing to happen to martial arts. What? Would you mind kind of um, kind of deconstructing that for a bit, like explaining what you mean by that? Yeah. Um, well, you know, the, the, the best thing, because, it again, it dispelled all the myths of martial arts, like, you know, the death, um, you know, all the deadly techniques. Oh, whoa, we, we, we don't spar because we're, 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 we're too dangerous, you know. You know, well, you know, UFC proved that, you know, people could take a lot more than other people thought they could take. Um and yet, you know, the worst thing, because now everybody's an MMA fighter, everybody's out there, you know, trying to trying to be a badass, I guess, you know, or, or chest pumping. And and I don't know. Um, there, there's a couple of straight up MMA schools around um, here in my area. And uh, it just seems like every single person that comes out of that that system, it just 
has very much attitude, and yeah, they're, they're pretty good. You know, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna say yeah, they're good training. Looks like good training. But I've I picked up a couple of their people here and there as well, and and the reason that, that they left was because they were getting beat up every day, um, and and the attitude that they felt like you know that. Um, they liked the fact that they were coming into a family rather than getting beat up every day, you know, and, and actually learning martial arts rather than just training. There is a difference between training and learning martial arts. Yeah, and that, that comes a lot with right, a lot of the Kajukenbo coming from Hawaii, that, that whole spirit of Ohana, right? That, that's something that... Exactly, exactly, that, uh, exactly. That I, I I completely agree as far as how a strictly MMA dojo works. It's kind of survival of the fittest in those places, and, and that's why I try and run mine exactly the way that I was taught. You know, I'm Gaylord treated all of us as if we were his sons. We were his Hanai sons. Uh, Hanai son is like an adopted son in Hawaii, so we were all his sons. You know, and uh, one thing about Gaylord was. He barely, I mean, for 20 bucks a month, I mean, 30 years, um, we got together. That's why we're the KAA and Gaylord Method, why we're so close. We don't have to, you know, there's not too much beefs within each other. And when we are, we always work it out because we all train with each other every month. No matter what school we were, we got together once a month with Gaylord for 30 years and trained. So, you know, we're, we are brothers, you know, and, um. Uh, help each other, support each other, and uh, watch each other's back all the time, you know, and, and I truly believe that was because of Gaylord's philosophy of keeping it a family, and that's ran down to my instructor, Jim Juarez, and his wife, Dolores, who is my biggest influence on how I run my dojo, because that woman was an incredible woman, uh, highest rank in, in KAA, matter of fact, I'm having an event this Saturday, uh, commemorating her 20 years of, uh, she's been gone for 20 years. She passed 20 years ago. Um, and uh, so I'm going to honor her this weekend by a nice little eight hour workout. And, um, and, uh, but yeah, she, she taught me how to, how to run a school. And, and I don't mean business wise because I'm a horrible businessman. <laughs> I, I don't have a clue how I've survived 35 years in business. I really don't. But by all counts, I should not have. I don't, I don't, I don't want to give you a spoiler, but I, I interviewed John about a week ago, and, and he said the same thing. <laughs> and I told him, you know that he's good. Ron's going to hear you say this, right? He's like, no, he's, he'd completely agree with you. Oh, God, horrible, yeah. <laughs> oh. You know? But, you know, but, but it's for the right reasons. Like he was explaining, it's, it's all for the right reasons. <laughs> yeah, you know, I depend on those that 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 pay tuition monthly and and regularly. But you know, every once in a while, you got to find those ones that you know that can't pay and want to be there. They end up being some of your best students, and they wouldn't be if you don't give them a chance. I barely ever paid for lessons myself. You know, my mom lost her job and she wasn't going to be able to to uh, pay. And my instructor said, you know what, don't worry about it. Feed the animals, 
which was feeding you know mice to the snake with what 14 year old kid doesn't love to do that right <laughs> so you know sweep the dojo you know and 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 that's how i paid for my lessons you know and um so I do the same thing, you know, but I live and my dojo now is in a very affluent community. So I don't have that as much, but I still do have that. And I still have some students that I have to scholarship, but I have a program called Safe Kids that I teach in the schools and everything I make from that program goes to my scholarship fund. So that way I can teach for free and yet I draw from the scholarship fund. So I still get paid. That's awesome. So. That, that's a win-win for me, you know, and that's one one of the ways how I can stay in business and and uh, and doing fairly well, yeah. Well, that kind of, <clears throat> I guess that kind of covers a little bit of what you're doing right now. Um, <clears throat> I guess before before I kind of wrap things up, what are what are your plans for the future? Like, what 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 would you like to do for your school, and what are some things that that you would like to see? I guess in martial arts in general, not just Kajukembo, but kind of bringing in the entire martial arts community, what are some things that you would like to see happen as time passes? Well, at, at 65, um, uh, I'm going to be 65 here in just a couple of months. Um, I still am a one-man show. I still teach pretty much every class every day. Um, I do have an assistant that I'm looking at turning my school over to now so I'm, I'm little by little letting him have more time um he needs more time in kaju uh, he he's alone he's on loan to me from my friend um he's actually a brazilian jiu-jitsu purple belt who's running my bjj program but he's been with me about six months now i got him up to purple belt material in kaju he's turning into a wonderful instructor his instructor sent him to me so I can teach him how to teach and and make a better teacher out of him so he can use him more. So, uh, But I plan on turning my school over to him, and he'll have a satellite school for his instructor as well as teach Kaju. So he's going to have more tools in his box uh, now that he can teach both systems. And uh, I know that I can turn the school over to him and... Uh, and think about retirement here in about four or five more years. I don't know if I have much more left of me at 70. My body's starting to fail me a little bit. I love teaching and I'll never stop, but I, I do need to slow down a little bit. Um, I would love to see martial arts get into the school system regularly. It, it's That's the martial artist's holy grail to get into the school system. It's almost impossible to do. Um, but I do have a secret, and that is my Safe Kids program, because I don't, I don't bill it as martial arts. I don't bill it as self-defense. I call it anti-abduction strategies and techniques, and that semantics has got me into the school system. And once you're in, then one school will tell another school that tells another school. At one time, I had seven schools I was teaching at, which just about killed me because that program takes a lot out of me. Um, but I've cut it down to just my two community schools now, right by my school. And I can do two, two programs a year. I can get through that. Um, but you know, there's so many people that I wish could, could learn that program and teach that program because in the 17 years that I've been teaching it, it has thwarted six kidnapping attempts, not from my own students, 
but from just from kids that took the three-week program with me. It works. It's simple, and um, and and the, uh, the proof is in the pudding. It absolutely works. So that kind of brings you back to what I said I'd mentioned earlier. You were talking about how you um, you compartmentalize Kajukembo or your 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 method between sport fighting, things like kickboxing, Muay Thai, MMA, self-defense, and then the traditional forms and the Kung Fu. And you said that you actually came up with some drills from bouncing. Um, mm -hmm. Would you mind kind of explaining some of that? Sure. No, not at all. And, and, and um, so I'll have the guys spar, you know, and, and as they're fighting, I'll throw out a, a knife or I'll throw out a club or I'll throw out both. Whoever has the fastest reflexes, gets to the weapon first. Now you have an empty hand against weapon fight or you have a weapon against weapon fight. Now that happened absolutely in the parking lot where the guys were fighting and one of his buddies threw out a knife and guy got to the knife. Well, I, I wasn't going to break that up. You guys go ahead and you know, I'll clean up the mess after, you know. Um, and um, so that's where that drill came from. Um, one of my other ones is... Um, is multiple opponent fighting where um, I use an ancient battle plan, the Battle of Thermopylae. Um, are, you, are you familiar with that? I'm not familiar with that. Would you mind like a sure. Cliff Notes version? <laughs> no, yeah, that, that's, not, that's not a problem. The Battle of Thermopylae, think of the movie The 300. Oh, okay. So that's the story of the 300 Spartans and in the battle down in the valley of Thermopylae. Oh, okay. So how, how I use that, in, and I have used this technique, is how do you deal with multiple opponents? If you're out in the open, your multiple opponents are just going to surround you and smash you. So if you get inside of a doorway, well, then they can only come through that doorway one at a time. If you smash, knock one out, thumb deep, you know, into the eye of number two. Well, number three is going to think twice about walking through that door. Same thing between two parked cars. Now, you still have to work, watch your six, but they can only come through that small space one or one at a time. And again, you take care of the first two or three, and four is not going to come through. You know, um, and I have used that technique, at uh, you know, in multiple fighting at the bar before. It absolutely works. So again, just to clarify with my listeners, you know, you, you've come up with these drills from real life experience. I, some people, I know some people like to go online nowadays and criticize YouTube videos and be like, but what would you do on the streets, the streets? And a lot of these people are saying that and they live like in the, in the middle of nowhere and they're not even, even close to an urban area where they have to deal with that kind of stuff. But um, you've come up with these drills and these practice, these, these, these programs from actually being in street fighting situations in situations where you had to control street fights and that's where you came up with these with these drills and and these uh for lack of yes. a better word these these methods right yeah exactly i have i have another one where i have you both on your knees with hands on the shoulders i'll put a knife on one end of the mat a knife on the other end of the mat now you have to grapple and control the grapple to be able to get to your weapon and, and that's, that's, that's one of my other favorite drills. And again, I saw two guys rolling around. The guy threw it, you know, and, uh, and, and that was part of that same one. They're rolling around. He's trying to reach for his knife. He's trying to reach for his knife. You know, uh, one of his other, the other guy's friends kicked the knife away so nobody got to it. But it still 
laid a, a seed in my mind. So when I ended up teaching, I ended up using that as a drill. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that happens a lot with uh, with Kaju Kembo guys. Like, they don't. A lot of Kaju Kembo guys get into Kaju Kembo because they're trying to find a style of martial art that is going to end because they're in the street and I, I know it gets criticized a lot i heard a lot of people say that this whole idea of being on the street sounds so fake but um i mean i the reason i got into kajikembo was the same reason i was i was surrounded by gang violence uh my my neighborhood had drive-by shootings weekly weekly drive-by shootings and I went to school, junior high. I started going to public school. I was My parents were scared to put me in public school because they knew how dangerous it was. I was in home studies most of my life. They put me in public school in our neighborhood when I was in junior high. And every day I saw people getting jumped with chains and knives and clubs. So the, the whole idea for me of the streets is a very real thing. It's not like something I'm just saying to try to be a troll or to, to criticize when I see a technique. And I actually don't troll online. I don't say anything. But I do see people from both ends. Like people who get criticized are like, well, you know, I do MMA and I only apply my stuff for sport fighting. So I get upset when people talk about that would not work on the streets because I'm not thinking about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I also see the criticism from someone who actually did have to use their martial arts in the streets. In your case, you were a bouncer. I did bouncing. And I also had to deal with people trying to jump me when I was young. So like, yeah, when I saw Kaju Kembo, I was like, okay, this is something I can use on the street. They're doing two-on-ones, three-on-ones. I've seen these situations. I know what needs to be done. And um, and they're actually practicing it. So that it seemed like the most practical approach. It's the reason I, I said this is, when I finally found Kaju Kembo, like this is what I've been looking for this whole time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I did a lot of dojo hopping in, in between places like Taekwondo and I even went to the jujitsu place and passed up jujitsu because that was the first thing I thought of when I, I, I mean, I love jujitsu now. I'm actually working my way up uh, the formal system and doing jujitsu for a long time. But when I first saw jujitsu before Kajukembo, the first thing that came to my mind was like, well, I can't do, I can't wrestle three guys at once. And that's what I'm seeing every day. It's not like, Yep. It's not yep. like concocted. I know statistically speaking, you most likely will not end up in a street fight. If you live in a nice neighborhood or if you live in a good area, you most likely won't end up in a street fight unless you go to a dangerous area. But I lived in that dangerous area, and that's what brought me there. <laughs> I, I, I totally get that. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Well, I really appreciate you breaking that down. Um, before I kind of finish things up, I always ask this question. What's your suggestion for someone who wants to start studying martial arts and doesn't know where to start? What, 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 what's, a, what's your suggestion for the average person who wants to pick up a martial art? But they have so many options now, right? You got Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, you got MMA, you got, you know, you got a lot of these Muay Thai and kickboxing and sport cardio. What, what's, what's your advice as a, as a martial arts instructor? What's your advice for these people? Don't delay and just go do it. You're going to have to find what works for you, what fits your body type. So you may dojo jump a little bit, but if you find the right place with the right instructor, you can get everything that you want all at once. Do due diligence, research, check all the reviews, make sure the, the reviews are good. And it's not about a style. It really isn't. It's about the instructor. You have to find the right instructor that has the right mindset 
and is teaching for the right reasons. Any style can be a good style for you, you know, or for the most part, you know. Um, you know, some people are, are better at kicking. Some people are better at punching. Some people are better at, at, at rolling around. So find what you think is your strength. Research and see what, what style would fit you most. And, of course, I'm always going to say find a Kaji Kimball school because that's probably going to be your best bet. And we'll give you what you want. It'll give you the skills. It'll give you the mindset. And it'll it'll bring you into a family. And I say that all the time. Is Kaji Kembo isn't a style. It's a mindset. Yeah, it definitely is. It definitely is. Well, you heard it here for, first, folks. Or I've had a few people on mention similar stuff. But you heard it here from Ron straight from ron here first that's well i don't know what other podcasts you've been on so i might be lying there but well you heard it here at least <laughs> well ron i want to thank you again very much uh for being on the show to my listeners um stay tuned for the wrap-up projects projects right now i'm working on a new series called jello's laugh lounge where i do some comic bits that i've been working on as some of you may know, I live out in the middle of nowhere, so as much as I would like to do stand-up, I don't have an audience that I'd be able to do that with, because I live in Japan, and there's I mean, a rice field. I guess I could do stand-up in a rice field in English, no one understand what I'm talking about. That's why I don't do it. I make these videos, I love making YouTube videos, it's fun, it's my hobby. I hope you enjoy it too. If you do, just hit subscribe on this channel and you'll have access to not just the social jello podcast but you'll also have access to the jello's laugh lounge that i recently created as well as my kaju kembo series uh if you're for some reason like me and you live in the middle of nowhere and you need something to kind of practice with i actually share a lot of parts of my kaju kembo program right here on my youtube channel you can watch it and learn some basic stuff like how to stretch properly and how to throw a punch and kick and line basics and stuff. Either way, I'll catch you all later. Thanks for sh tuning in and stay tuned till next time. Later. <laughs>